Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Please be seated. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Luke chapter 23 tonight. Luke 23, starting at verse 44. For the last six weeks, we have been looking at, each week have been looking at a different phrase that Jesus spoke while hanging on the cross. Many of whom who were recounted tonight in the reading of the Passion. Tonight we come to the last phrase. It is a fitting night. It is rainy and cold and dark. I stand before you recovering but weakened from sickness this week. It is the right night to discuss the things we must discuss tonight. Luke 23, 44 says, It was now about the sixth hour, which is noon, And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, about three o'clock in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now the curtain was the barrier in the temple, the barrier between the holy of holies, where no one was allowed to be, where where the holiness of God dwelled. It was a it was a protection of sorts, if only symbolic. Because sinful man could not come in the presence of such a holy God. The holiness of God is too great for sinful humans to be in his presence. So only once a year could the high priest enter that area to make a sacrifice for the people. And this curtain was no flimsy piece of material. It was as much as two feet thick. And it ripped with what must have been a mighty sound. The ultimate sacrifice had been made. No more would anyone have to enter into that room to make a sacrifice to the holy God. For the great high priest who is Jesus is also the great sacrifice himself. And the sacrifice has been made on the cross. A new relationship with God is opened, mediated not through a system of priests and sacrifices, but by Jesus himself, the Son of God. All this is finished now. And then he gathers his breath. And with his last ounce of energy, he yells. Verse 46. Then Jesus, calling out in a loud voice, said, Father, Into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. We have seen each week as we have looked at the various phrases of from Jesus on the cross that the majority of his words have been direct quotes from the Psalms showing that God's word is true and faithful and able to be trusted even in our darkest hour and that Jesus' sacrifice is the fulfillment of those words. And his final words here are no different. They come from Psalm 31. 
Here's the context of Jesus' words. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. This is a psalm about rescue and refuge and trusting in God to save. O Lord, faithful God, Jesus calls him. Into your hands I commit my spirit. To commit is to pledge, to give, to entrust. Now, he said, I entrust my very being, my soul to you. Jesus has made the necessary atonement, and now he is showing us what we must do as well. This is the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived from the greatest pulpit ever erected, and it ends properly with application. Trust in God. That's the point of all of this, that God saves that Adam and Eve were wrong, that our way is not best, but that truly we can trust in God. His final words, Jesus calls out, I entrust my very soul to you, God. And he's calling us in these words to trust him as well, to repent and believe, to return to the Lord. This was all about forgiveness, all about love, all about reconciliation. Jesus' words on the cross have shown us the great truths of what he has accomplished. Father, forgive them, he began as he intercedes for us. You will be with me in paradise, tells us his promises of his presence and the place to which he is gathering us that we can be with him. I will care for your needs, he tells us, as he looks to the needs of his mother that he does not overlook today for the sake of of tomorrow. I will quench your thirst, he shows us, as he thirsted so that he did not have to. I will never forsake you, he proves, as he quotes the psalm that applies to him and to us. Why have you forsaken me? Indeed, you have not. It is finished, he said. Your sins are forgiven. And now, after all of this, he entreats us. Commit your spirit into God's hands. Unbelievers, this is for you. If you do not yet trust the Lord Jesus, I beg you with everything that I have to do so tonight. To hear these words as faithful and true, to see this sacrifice as for you and for your sins. Repent and believe. Call to him and be saved. For believers, this is for us as well. To press into what you believe. Can we truly, truly entrust ourselves to God without reservation? Yes, we can. Jesus is saying here in his dying breath, you can trust that our God is the God who saves, the God who redeems.
throughout these weeks, Jesus has also been an exemplar, an example of how we too should live. And so one of the things that we can see in this time, Christians, we see here in Christ that we can both die and grieve well. We don't like to think about death. We don't like to talk about death. In our society, we are separated in every way from death. Seldom do people die at home. We don't even normally kill our own food. But here, we come face to face with the death of our Savior and our own mortality. Death is heart-wrenching because it's not the way that it should be. We know the truth of the gospel when we see how wrong death is. But it does not have to be a place of fear for us anymore. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here on the cross, Jesus has won a victory so that even the death that seeks to claim us cannot hold us any longer because of what Christ has done for us. When it is our time to die, we can die with great comfort that Jesus has died so that death is not final. As a priest, I have been with many people at their time of death. And I have learned much from them. That we need not fear what is on the other side of the door of death. Because Jesus is there, ready to welcome us. The one who never leaves us or forsakes us. I remember my friend... Don Moran. Don was a a retired Marine, if Marines ever really do retire. And he was an old crotchety guy, and I loved him. When we planted our first church in uh, near Fayetteville, North Carolina, he wanted to help on Sundays. Back then, we didn't have screens like this. We had overhead projectors with the with the kids, they're like, um, they're clear film sheets that had words on them, and you had to put them up, and it's very difficult to put them down, because if you moved it this way, up on the screen, it sort of moved the opposite way, and Don wanted to help with this, and so we had a, we had a room of, that sat about 20 people when we first started gathering together, and Don wanted to help with the, uh, with the, uh, with the overhead projector, and so so Don would try to get these sheets up there because we're doing liturgy, right? And we're doing songs and they have to get moved and they have to get right on there. And so in this room, about 25 people, the liturgy would sort of be cockeyed like this and crooked and he was trying to get in place. You just hear him cussing in the corner, right? Like we're, we're in the middle of the service and he'd be going, <laughs> like the kids can hear you down the hall already here. And uh, it was Don's time to die. He was sick. He was failing, and I went and I sat with him, and I said to him, because this is the way we talked to each other, I said, old man, I don't know how much longer you're going to be with us. And he said, I know. I think it's my time to go. I said, are you ready? And he said, I want to see him. He said, I want to see him. When Don died, that's all I could think of, was that he could see him. Face to face, the Savior who died for us on the cross was there with holes in his hands to welcome Don. 
And he could see him. Oh, death, where's your victory? Where's your sting? Christians, we can die well. Another poignant story for me was we were visiting Karen's mom in Wilson, North Carolina, and she lives kind of out in the country, and right by her house there are long, straight country roads, and right by her house they they come to a T. And many people are speeding down one of those roads and uh, and blow through that stop sign and go right off the other side of the road. And uh, and that had happened this night that we were that we were at her mom's house. We heard the squealing of tires. We heard the crash, and then we heard more squealing tires and another crash. And so we ran outside. And what had happened was one woman had um, had run through that stop sign and run off the road. And then she had gotten out of her car because she couldn't get it out of the ditch and she got out of her car and when she did, she was struck by another vehicle that had come. And she was there on the side of the road. We were the first people there. And I remember running and kneeling beside her and her eyes were open and she was blinking but she was not very responsive. And a, a small crowd started to gather of people who were driving by and asked for their coats and we put coats on her. We, of course, called 911, and we're waiting for the, for the ambulance to arrive. There wasn't much more we could do. And I remember holding her hand, just kneeling there in the mud on the side of the road and holding her hand. And I, I remember strange details. I remember she had blood on the side of her mouth, and it was very red. I remember her skin was very dark brown, and mine was so white. And we were holding hands there, and I just knelt with her, and I said, I don't know if you know Jesus now's the time. Even, in, even now on the side of this road, even here, he can rescue you. I don't know if you're going to pull through this, but I know that Jesus can save you. And I held her hand and I prayed with her and I prayed for her until the ambulance came and took her away. They life flighted her out and we heard later that she died. I don't know what happened to her soul. But it's those moments when the reality of life and death come crashing in and we realize how out of control we are over death. We know in situations like with Don when we can sit together and we can say, old man, I don't think you have much time with us. And he can say, I'm ready to see him. Or you can be coming home from work and die on the side of the road. But Christians, we can be ready. We can be ready. Because Jesus is the one who receives us. We don't have to be afraid any longer of our greatest enemy of death. Because Jesus has defeated him. And Christians, we can also grieve well. Death is a robber. It steals from us people whom we love. And in death, we see the tragedy of sin more poignantly than than at any other time. In death, when our heart breaks and we look around for someone to give us answers, because we say clearly, this is not the way that it should be. This is not what we were meant for. And we see in the scripture that that is exactly right. Death is wrong. And it is the wages of sin. And it is why Jesus came to save us. And because of this, 
Even when our hearts are breaking, we can grieve and we grieve deeply. We grieve with tears and with anguish and lamentation and with mourning and with tearing our clothes and with pouring ashes on our head. We can grieve because our hearts are broken by the reality of the rebellion of God's creation against him that has brought about death itself. I remember my friend Joe Bill who was killed in a motorcycle accident. I went to the hospital and I anointed his body and I wept over him. He had come to Christ at our church not only a year before that. And I wept over him and I said, I'm rejoicing with you because you're with him, but I want you here with me. You're my friend. I love you. But I could grieve deeply with his wife. And I could rejoice deeply in the victory of Jesus Christ. And so Christians, we can grieve well. I remember the day that I spoke with my priest of my home church where I grew up. His name was King. He's a, he's a mentor of mine. And I said to him, King, when my father died, I I wasn't old enough to know if he truly knew Christ or not. And he came and and he sat down next to me and he smiled at me and he said, Dan, haven't you ever heard the story that I sat with him in his hospital room and I held his hand and I asked him, when you go to be with Christ, are you ready Do you know him? Will he welcome you as one of his own? And your father looked at me and said, yes. He said, you can have the surety that your own father is with Christ. Your father knew the gospel and he belongs to your savior. And you can have confidence. And so friends, years later, I still grieve the death of my father. But I do so, as the scripture says, as someone with hope. We can grieve deeply because death is not the way that it should be. It's so wrong that Jesus would die in our place to keep it from having victory anymore. It's so very, very wrong. And we grieve deeply. And yet, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. We don't have to grieve the same as the world of people who have no hope, for we have a great hope in the victory of Jesus Christ. But what an urgency this gives us to make sure that all of us who will die unless Christ comes first, that all of us know the truth of Jesus Christ. There is no excuse for us to not share this good news with others. There is no shame that we are worried about whether people will reject us. These people may die not knowing him. It must beat our hearts. It must wake us up in the morning that people can know the truth of Jesus. God became one of us to carry our sin and our death so that death no longer has victory and our mourning has hope. So Christians die well and grieve well. 
In his final words, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit to show that even in our darkest places, even in death itself, we are able to entrust ourselves to God. If you are not a Christian in this room, come to this place of hope with us. Know this Savior who has died for you. Have the same confidence that we Christians bear. Christ has come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus' call of confidence in God is also a plea for us to share in that confidence with your soul and with your life. And so tonight we come to grips with the depth of our depravity, the guilt of our sin, the tragedy of the rebellion of God's creation, and we remember the horrible price that was paid to atone for our sins. And in our grief, we marvel at the love of God who would become one of us in order to die so that we may live with him. We grieve Jesus tonight. We grieve Jesus tonight. Who before he was risen from the dead. Was in a tomb. Cold. And alone. Into your hands I commit my spirit he says. For you have redeemed me O Lord faithful God. The cross that was meant to be a place of trauma and torture and death has become the central symbol of our faith because even the cross can be redeemed. For even as the stone of Jesus' tomb rumbles as it rolled into place, there is a stirring in the heavens. No dust will settle on this stone. What was meant to seal in death will soon be rolled away and burst forth with life. But not tonight. Tonight we mourn in order to truly appreciate the joy and the reality of Easter. We must endure the truth of Good Friday. That in order for there to be a needed victory, there was a war that needed to be fought against a great oppressor, sin, Satan, and death. And that war's casualty was Jesus. This awful, beautiful night, this haunting and horrible night, this crushing and amazing and good Friday. Tonight ends with Jesus in the grave after he has paid our price. It ends with the disciples confused and broken in their grief. And perhaps in many areas in your life, that is where you are as well. Well, friends, I pray that tonight we contemplate the cross. We contemplate the significance of the sacrifice that was made for us and the motivation behind that sacrifice, his deep and unending and unquenchable love for us. That he has sought us out even in our sin to pay such a price so that we can share in his glorious life. And so tonight we mourn and tonight we grieve. And tonight we realize that what put him on the cross, his obedience to God to pay the penalty for our sin. And in a moment we are going to share in communal prayers of repentance together. We're going to We're going to repent. We're going to say that we're sorry. We're going to pray that the Lord will redeem us. 
And for those who choose to do so, we will get up from our seats. And there's going to be a cross here on the floor where you can take a nail and nail it into that cross. Not as a sense of melodrama, not as, trying to, not as in some way trying to manipulate emotion, but we are physical beings. And the truth that Jesus was nailed to the cross for our sins, for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of all time, can be taught to us and spoken to us and sung about, but it is experienced even differently when we experience it in our body. And I pray that when you nail that nail in the cross, that you nail your sins there and you leave them there. That whatever the sin that has plagued you for so long, that has had victory over you, that as you pray and nailing that nail in the cross, that you know that the nails that went through Jesus' hands saved you from that sin. That whatever shame you have not been able to peel off your soul, that you will nail it to this cross. It is no magic cross and no magic nails. It is Christ who does this work. It is Christ who is present with us. And after we nail those things to the cross tonight, then we wait. We wait and we mourn for a day. And on the third day, we will see that our trust is well rewarded. We grieve tonight, friends, but we do not grieve as people without hope, for we know that victory comes in the morn. We know that the glorious Lord who died for us will be resurrected again, but that's for another day. Tonight, we remember his sacrifice with a mix of grieving and hope, with relief and with pain. Tonight is a good Friday. Tonight is the night that Jesus took away our death and took away our sin. May we contemplate these things with our hearts and our minds and our bodies. Pray with me. This night is no fun, Lord. This is, not, this is not a night that we look forward to. It is a night that must be endured. It is a night that our sin is so very real. That so many things are brought to mind for us. Things that we have done and things that we have left undone how we have not loved you with our whole heart, how we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, how we have been wounded by others deeply and that we, in turn, have wounded them. Tonight, we remember those who have died. We grieve and we mourn. We remember the sting of death and we call out for you, the only one who can save us. Help us put our trust in you. Into your hands we commit our spirit. O Lord, O faithful God, for you are our rock and our refuge. Turn our hearts and minds towards you and the awful goodness of your cross.